Welcome to Very Original Pod, Season 2 with me and Eduardo Ricciari. Today we are going to be talking about how the Indian film industry works and we'll be joined by Anup Chatterjee later on, who's a well-renowned filmmaker in uh, West Bengal. He's done a feature film and a short film with Shomitra Chatterjee, who's a very well-known actor in these circles. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Let's find out more about him. Before we start, uh, just want to like, for my curiosity, because like, you know, when I think of Indian cinema, I only think of Bollywood. This is like very different from that, right? So here's the thing. Bollywood is like a, is a derogatory term that was used back in the day, to be very honest. It's, it's not a, it's, it's not a film. It's, it's, it's not an industry. It's rather a genre. So you know how you have like uh, musicals, which is made in Hindi, I think is more or less Bollywood, but we have other types of cinema. Okay. So, um, we have Arnab Chatterjee today, who's a filmmaker in um, West Bengal, Calcutta. And uh, people. Arnab, we wanted to ask you first of all, like on the back of it, um, what got you into films? Like, what was your earliest memory that, okay, this is when you decided to be a filmmaker? The earliest memory I can think of is when, uh, so every Bengali would know, or maybe even other parts of India would know the celebration of Durga Puja, which happens every year in the month of September or October. So we used to, like my family used to celebrate Durga Puja in our ancestral house. And uh, so when I was around seven or eight, uh, in, during the Durga Puja celebration, I used to make videos of the... Sorry, yeah, what is this? Of the... So it's a celebration, basically it's a, uh, it's a Hindu festival. It's called Durga Puja. It's one of the many uh, festivals which we have. I wouldn't call it a festival, but like a, what would you call it? Like, I mean, it's, it's not exactly it's, like Diwali. It's, it, you can say it's a festival. I mean, it's almost like the whole city's lit up. Like imagine Christmas. Yeah. But like yeah. bigger. So, mm-hmm. so it's Calcutta's uh, Christmas sort of. Yeah. It's it's religious. It's a religious festival. Okay. So during that, I used to make videos in our house and I used to compile them together and play. And then what I did was I thought, you know, why why don't I sort of get my cousins together and make something which has a kind of a story. So just rough. Uh, shots from here and there from all over the house we plotted a story and we started filming uh, those uh, our, what two to five minute long short films uh, and then we so the, I was eight seven or eight years old so I didn't have fancy cameras or laptops or anything so Windows Movie Maker was my staple editing tool and my camera was a Nikon Coolpix which was the best camera for an eight year old <laughs> I can probably say that. Uh, so yeah, so so I started shooting and editing and and so that Durga Puja was actually more of filmmaking for me and less Durga Puja. And then my family, I mean my relatives and everybody, they didn't quite understand what I was up to because obviously like an eight-year-old making movies is unthinkable. So they thought we were just like like randomly going all over the house doing some crap. Cut to around a couple of months later, I am in my school and I tell my classmates that listen, let's let's make movies. And they were again like, how would you pull this off? And I said, nothing. It doesn't have to be like a movie movie. We can just start experimenting with shots and stories. So within a week, I sort of wrote this random story of two friends meeting and we get into a fight and somebody else basically just to get a standard screenplay and a blocking of shots and everything and i told my friends that you can't shoot it inside school so let's meet at a 
friend's place and pull it off. Now I couldn't do it in my own house because I was scared of sort of being parents you know so so we selected we chose this friend of mine he had a huge house and he was like you know it's i mean he has such a big house if whatever we shoot the, the rest of the family won't know what we are doing so we decided to shoot it in his house um so we went we around i think seven or eight of us got interested to experiment this and we went to his place and uh, we started shooting and we got the most horrible shots ever i've taken in my life it's no technical no how nothing uh but it's fine i put it on my editing table and i was trying to make some sense out of what we shot but nothing was sort of cutting together there was no continuity nothing no audio recorded nothing so i was like i can't be a filmmaker it's impossible <laughs> this is this is too much of the whole drama but my friends were like yeah so let's get back to cricket and football i said no let's give it another try so again the next friday we got back to his house and we reshot the entire sequence this time more professionally so <laughs> i sort of started watching movies more analytically and i figured that okay if the person is talking so you can take it from here if you want to two shot let's keep it here so i sort of broke down the scene into shots which was obviously i didn't know in the first instance and then we decided let's scrap the film let's just focus on one scene so that's how scene blocking came into play and so the scene was basically two characters sitting and they are talking and how would you capture it in from all kinds of angles and with i mean keeping in mind there's a story which is being told so first we did a long shot and then we came close and side so taking clothes up we took OTS and everything looking pretty fancy for an 8 year old <laughs> filmmaker and then some parts you know couldn't get proper lighting so uh, during those times we never had never even had like phones with lights so we used the front the display light for the extreme close ups we kept phones here and we lit up the face that's how we did there was no color correction nothing this is just raw film shooting so this is how we got the the scene and looking pretty fine minus the audio because audio we couldn't manage i just wanted to get the shots in place and then i thought that okay this is so we can pull off a scene so let's now focus on the story because everything is about storytelling right so then i started writing a stronger story which will make more sense on screen so then i started writing a, i remember i uh, wrote first story which i wrote was a crime thriller uh, it was about this guy. so I, my friend adnan uh, sort of wanted to guillotine him as the main character so he became the investigator of the crime and he was he was super excited to do all of this because like he and i were like closest uh, closest friends back then so he was um he what he did was he accepted the offer in like one day like i am in <laughs> so i was like cool and then we started um, i explained to him the script and everything and then obviously in class if you are discussing something like filmmaking everybody will be like oh okay and then more people got interested teachers got to know that making something like this and so so then every day we every week we used to shoot in this friend's place and we show shot around i think five scenes of that film and with that film i sort of learned screenplay writing basic editing basic you know short divisions and everything um then uh you know how to sort of build up a particular sequence keeping in mind there's a because it was a crime thriller so i had to keep that suspense kind of a thing and then i started putting in background uh, effects sound and everything but i was like okay the film can be made but what to do with the audio because It, like dubbing and everything were very complicated back then i couldn't manage that so i thought okay fine let's these are uh, we won't release these films these are just for educational purposes for me as a filmmaker and so this way i continued for like 2 years or maybe 3 years till i was in class 6 this was in class 3 i was 8 years old 
uh, standard, yeah, third standard, and then in sixth standard, I decided to sort of up my game, and then I started shooting on a DSLR. So from cool breaks, no, in the middle I moved to a handycam, Sony handycam. It was still standard definition. It was not HD or anything. So standard definition, standard films I made. Then uh, I moved into a DSLR. 5D Mark II was the camera I used. I think, yeah. And with that, I started making similar films, but comparatively sort of more developed in terms of technicalities and storytelling. And then I moved to a DV cam, which we now use in Medfib, I think, in our first year. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Using those, uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, the first camera I used FS7. of that type. Was no, it wasn't the FS7. It was the PMW oh. EX3. Uh, Sony PMW okay. EX3 was the camera which I used, similar it, to FS7. It's it's uh, one of the camera we used on documentary. Um, ah, okay, okay. So yeah, so that camera I started using now. now those are like completely different from what we would be, we were using. So I was like, okay. And then I started shooting in film, actually, not digital. 8mm uh, or so 16? I, sorry? 8mm. 16, 16, 16. 16. 16. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah. So I was like super excited to get 16mm prints and everything with the cameras. But obviously I was, I mean, the loading and everything were very expensive because so nobody would sell me the the reels and I was like, what to do now? So I actually got hands on uh, film when I was 13 or 14 and then to convert it and then start editing was a huge uh, sort of pain. So I got this guy who would do that for me. He said, okay, I'll take some some amount and I'll do it for you. The, the conversion of the rushes. So cool. And then, but there was a huge problem with the thing was that I, the lighting used to get very messed up because lighting of film and lighting on digital are very different actually. So I never got the right lighting right on film. Yet to learn that. Wait, really? So, because so that was like, I always thought that lighting for film is easier than lighting for, um, I mean, in a sense, like the lighting comes better with film than with digital because digital is like, it's always hard to get skin tones, for example, but with film... Digital is more detailed. Yeah, yeah. Digital, digital is more detailed, right? Yeah, but back then, I, I mean, on the other hand, digital, if you have natural light, basic, you can sort of, the composition gets easier because you, you don't have to work that hard on it. Whereas film, at least the camera which I was, I was using, I wasn't using an Ariflex of that sort, you know? So, in fact, those small tapes, which I began shooting on. I don't remember the name of the, do I have it here? No. Those very small tapes, these weren't even 16mm. I don't even remember what it was. Like these small tapes in the cameras. Uh, so I used to shoot on those and uh, every face used to get sort of very underexposed or do, overexposed. Do, do you mean those small audio cassettes? Like, you know, those small ones. Yeah, it used to look like audio cassettes. Yeah. But Somehow the lighting was horrible on all those uh, things, so, which is why I had to move back to uh, DSLR because I didn't have to worry about lighting like that with the DSLR. And so I shot for like two years on that. And then I moved to uh, 5D Mark III and then I opened, so when I was in eighth standard, uh, seventh standard, end of seventh standard, I opened my banner. And yeah, that's when I decided to get serious about uh, the thing in terms of business as well as the creative part of it. So I opened my company and, and then so, it's been like seven years. So because you like to be like kind of the leader on set, when you, you know, when things sort of like don't go too well or they kind of go bad, how do you keep everyone's excitement up? Like how do you kind of like, because of course, your behavior affects everyone else's behavior. So how do you keep your, the, the, the mood up on the set when things don't go, don't go the way that you expect them to go? Yeah, so depends on the scale of the film actually. I mean, uh, back in those days when I'm talking, what I'm talking about right now, like when we were in middle school or primary school, excitement was there 
perpetually like you don't have to up them everybody is excited to do something because nobody has any clue what we are doing so when you have no idea you're always excited <laughs> because everything i'm telling them is something new right mm-hmm. yeah. so you don't have to keep motivating them because we are all learning nobody is a professional on set so we i told them right in the beginning that i don't know how to make a film you guys don't know how to make a film but we are doing something let's enjoy so first 5 to 6 years we just enjoy it now when i make a film obviously the entire scale is different i'm making it professionally so and of course we are get, we do make mistakes sometimes it, because i mean even though my crew is like completely professional full trained adults i am the youngest on set even though i'm a director so sometimes yes i do make glitches but then uh, so then while seeing the playback i have to sort of understand that okay here's where i went wrong so let's probably go for a retake so the feature film which i made was not with a professional uh, cast they were all my school friends and school teachers uh, from high school so the acting bit was i mean we were always improvising because we like none of them knew what is the perfect uh, sort of thing to take out of an actor so we used to take around three shots with three i used to direct them thrice like three kinds of acting and then i used to say that okay on the edit table whichever suits me i'm going to put because i edit my own films i know this is this might suit better this might not sometimes i used to take two different kinds of angles of a shot you know whichever would cut better with this thing because on the edit table you can see a film better than when you're shooting it so i should keep variations uh sometimes i should make errors with lighting again because lighting continuity is very important in a scene especially if you're indoors because <clears throat> uh everything is sort of uh artificially lit up nowadays even outdoors we lit up artificially <laughs> so lighting continuity so the light department in my last two films were pretty good but before that i had no light department so everything had to be done by myself in fact you first 20 30% of my feature film was also there was no light department there was no gaffer there was nobody so i had to do lighting by myself and obviously if you are directing a film shooting your own film i was the dop myself then lighting your own film taking care of sound you are bound to make hundreds of errors you cannot do it all by yourself and then directing your actors it's impossible so of course i've made many mistakes if you watched my feature film you will understand that the film is made over a period of a year and a half and there is no consistency in the technical quality of the film because i have grown as a filmmaker through like in the process of making the film so you would see the film begins with a with a sort of glaze and then like i am analyzing my own film now when i sit and watch i feel that, okay these these bits are better than these bits uh th- these parts are more professional than these because like i've learned the craft in the course of making the film whereas my la- last film which i made that is much better made professionally because i i was there's a gap of 2 years between the two films Oh, yeah. So you you you're talking about unsaid right which was released in 20 unsaid unsaid uns yeah but we made unsaid in 2016 yeah. the principal shooting of the film was in 2016 yeah. and then my last film was john mutin which is shot in 2018 so two years mm-hmm. yeah so how i i know you did talk about it a bit uh, but how was your overall experience of like making your first feature film debut like how was that like was it really overwhelming or like and also like your working experience with the people you worked with whether it was your cast your crew how was it yeah so so i'll tell you when i started writing answer uh, answer actually came about because before answer i made a film on friendship and it was a very simple film made with great hurry because what happened was i was in the middle of another film which had to be shelved because of our class i mean 10th standard board examinations because some actors who were my friends again they backed out because their parents didn't 
one sort of uh, distractions in a board examination year. So after around 60% of the shoot, we had to sort of scrap everything and, you know, so, but then I had to make something because people, like I had already created a hype about my next film, my next film. So I thought, and this is extremely embarrassing to announce that, oh, we cannot release a film because board examinations are coming up and I don't have a crew anymore. <laughs> so, so I was like, I, this is impossible. I, I, was, I had invested some amounts of money as well. And I was, I was in a very horrible mental state because suddenly, and it was a very ambitious project of mine, mind you. It was a crime thriller again after a long time. And like we had shot in public, we had like a proper, like, yeah, it was a ambitious project of mine and we had to scrap it. It was called Superlative. And so then I thought as a compensation for Superlative, at least let's put up something so that, you know, people will be like, okay, there is something which, which has come up. So within a couple of days, I wrote this film. It was one very simple film on friendship. It was a 20, 20 minute short film. And that was actually liked by many people. Even internationally, like sort of, it was appreciated, everything. But then I personally felt that I haven't made the film as per, you know, like I received more rec appreciation for the film compared to how much I put in to the film. I could have made the film better. So then I decided let's make a film with much more effort and do something. So then I started writing Unset, which was again on friendship, but much more like layered like in terms of like four main characters, relationship between each other, then outlook towards life, uh, sort of physical barriers faced by these uh, young uh, people. So then I started writing Unsaid. Unsaid, as an experience, I would say, I wrote, so I started writing Unsaid, I remember on 1st January, 2016. And I had board examinations in March and April. So, but I didn't care. I started, I kept writing it throughout the uh, examination period. And uh, I finished writing it by May. Uh, yeah, by May. And then I started casting. And when I was casting the film, I had no budget, definitely. <clears throat> so I obviously had to back, I mean, I had to fall back on my classmates again. So I told my classmates, let's make a feature film. Uh, I, like, let's experiment if we can, let's pull it off. There's no money involved as such, so we have nothing to lose. Four exams will get over, so we'll be partying for like a year. Let's see if things work out well, then we'll be famous. So this is how I got my cast and crew on board. Uh, then they were like, cool. So I got again, the same set of friends. Adnan was back uh, as a member of cast. Then I got the other, everybody else, Rohan, Srijan, Krishangi. They were all my friends from middle school. Now we start shooting the film with zero budget. Again, similar setup what we have, what I had previously. But after making around, I think thirty or forty percent of the film in terms of shooting, I thought that probably uh, I could do better if I get a better crew. In terms of, I mean, I don't. I'm fine with the actors because they are my friends. That's all the film is about. You know, it's, it shouldn't look like it's a professional sort of thing happening on screen. But off screen, I want a professional support, which will sort of enhance the on-screen presentation. But then I had, I knew nobody in the industry. So it was impossible. And so I visited a studio in Calcutta in Southern Avenue. I don't want to name it. It was a pretty well-known studio. And uh, so I spoke to them and they were like, uh, so I was 16 back then, right? So I went to their uh, studio and I was like, making this film i don't know if it will if it will become a feature or a short because it depends on my edit i have a, i have a script for a feature but if i can't finish it then probably it will be short i don't know i don't have enough money so but i want some cameras and some crew members and everything so could you help me with that and they were like who are you <laughs> obviously and i was like i'm nobody but I, I, I want to make a film i want to tell a story and they were like, yeah, but then 
who are you? <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's not happening this way. I have to find some other sort of channel or something. Uh, but then I, I, then I said, can I meet anybody who's like sort of ready to talk to me and sort of understand what I'm trying to say, where I'm coming from? So like, okay, let's introduce you to somebody else who might give you more time. So I met this other gentleman. Uh, he, I, he gave me a little more time. He gave me like from two minutes. He gave me like 15 minutes to talk to. And he was. I told him that listen, this is what I plan to make. I don't have enough money, but then I have this mess script. I've these are the previous films I've made. At least do something. So then I suggested him an idea that give me a camera for a day or like two days. Let me learn the stuff and let me shoot you something and accordingly you judge whether you can trust me with all of this or not. So then I hired a red uh, scarlet camera for a couple of days and I sat with it and I started sort of self, you know, self teaching uh, on the camera and sort of because shooting from DSLR and everything to suddenly a red scarlet is kind of complicated for a 16 year old. So I thought, okay, let's give it a shot. Nothing to worry about. At least as long as I don't break the camera, I'm fine. <laughs> max or max, I wouldn't make the film, but it's fine. So I experimented with it. I showed him some shots from in my house. And he's like, okay, fair enough. You can take the camera. I mean, you can rent the camera, but what about the others? So I said, yeah, I mean, I need a basic light team and maybe some sound guys. And I didn't even know the, I mean, how many people I need because all the departments I was not aware. So then I told him that, okay, give me a couple of weeks. Let me see how, what kind of scenes I have. Accordingly, I'll tell you and you'll suggest me what do I need. So I went back home and I sort of broke down the script once again in terms of locations. You know, this is the location. This is my sort of requirement. So what kind of crew do I want here? So then I uh, started breaking it out, down and decided on outdoor, I need more people. I need, if I want some extra extravagant shots, like a jib or anything, then jib team, and there's light, extra light team required. Uh, so all kinds of things I was working out. And then they were like, where's the budget? So I had no budget. I mean, I have everything sorted out, but there's no budget to execute it. So then I started sort of freelancing here and there. And just in some way or the other, I was writing for somebody, I was editing for somebody, I was doing logistics for somebody. I was all over the city. Uh, and I got someone to budget. And I thought, okay, this is the budget I have. Let's shoot whatever I can in this budget. And then let's disappear. Again, I'll work. And we'll get some more funds and then we'll again get so this was my plan so budget i've got for like six days of shoot so in six days i have to completely exhaust the budget exhaust everything and get whatever i can and then we'll see later so so i told them this is my budget give me this camera lights you know a jimmy jib outdoor uh sound everything in fact, that was in the climax. We've used some amount of special effects as well, uh, with the green screen and everything. We had to replicate certain stuff. We had to clean up. So I had started learning visual effects as well. Um, I was like, "You need a VFX supervisor on set," but because I'm the director, I have to explain the stuff to them. So I was like, um, "How to do that?" So I started watching behind the scenes of all kinds of stuff. You know how to get. How to when to use a green screen, when to use a blue screen, all kinds of things. I was all over the place, and uh, so, so yeah. So thirty percent of the film we shot with zero budget, and then there was a three month gap, and then we came on, we resumed shoot with like a certain budget, and we used to break down schedule wise. So six days of shoot for this budget, then six months no shoot, then ten days of shoot with this budget, then again four months no shoot, and when they when we are not shooting. Even my actors are happy because they are studying and appearing for exams and attending tuitions. So, so that's how we spend standard 11 and 12 uh, shooting. And yeah, it was, I would say I learned the major chunk of filmmaking so far. I'm not saying I know everything about filmmaking, obviously, 
but till now whatever i know most of it is because of unsaid because that film has taught me more than anything else till now i would say so practical is always the best way than you know theory is absolutely teacher should absolutely yeah. absolutely i mean yeah any filmmaker you can ask and yeah i i want to ask you something one is that do you think so it's hard for people who don't come from like let's say like you said you're not from a film filming background or you don't have the necessary tools to back you up so is it harder for you to make it in this film industry or is it harder for everyone to make it but it's easier if you have the money or if you have the budget to fund a movie are you talking about nepotism by any chance yes sir yeah um who are you watching the side one by the way let's <laughs> go for it <laughs> look let's put it very sort of flat nepotism exists everywhere in all kinds of fields not just the film industry so i wouldn't say it's fair to blame everything on nepotism because it can definitely coexist with everything else in the in any industry i mean tomorrow if you become a well successful filmmaker and if your son or daughter says that i want to join the field of course you would want to push your child right so there's no harm in supporting your family members and your loved loved ones and dear ones but i think i mean like personally what i felt was that definitely there was difficulty i haven't yet like for example made a film which directly involves the biggies like the big producers or the distributors still now but i remember during when i was making unsaid so what i did with unsaid was basically i was making a film in a parallel industry like there is an existing film industry in in calcutta but i was making the film uh sort of by myself with whatever system systematic support i have so i think i mean the difficulties which i faced was more because i was also producing the film you see because many people think that just being an actor is difficult because you have to sort of break into the scene and sort of make it big or even director but being an independent producer is also extremely difficult because you are directly in the business and this cutthroat competition in the business i know people i don't want to name anybody who are extremely talented actors or directors but when they wanted to enter the production line they've been sort of completely removed from the race because producers run the show at the end of the thing because they are the they control the money so i remember when we so so there are two parts of making a film right one is the production when you're making the film and the other is the release most films which are made don't reach the stage of release because because there's filtering taking place when i made my film unsaid i spent 6 months in the release process i was not allowed to release the film because firstly there's no so exhibitors and distributors are saying that there's no uh, famous face so your film won't sell so these kind of problems are predominant uh, sort of problems which any producer distributor faces if you do if you haven't yet made it big in the industry and how to make it big you never know because this is business and so definitely i mean with no film background if you start directing and producing a film even if you are rich you might not make it because okay you invest your money you make your film but really they won't allow you to release the film because you are coming in their line of sort of competition this problematic we know about struggles of actors and mostly actors i mean in india we just talk about how actors are trying to enter the film industry and facing nepotism and you know groupism and gangs and all kinds of things but nepotism in the film industry is on various levels there's nepotism in the even in the sort of technical technicians and uh, fields as well i mean a dop would want a famous dop would want his teams to go up a very uh, famous makeup artist will want his or her teams to uh, 
known people to go up. So there's nepotism everywhere, not even confined in the film industry. So, so yeah, back to what I was saying was, uh, I faced the problems on, on a different scale because I haven't yet made a film properly under a studio or anything. I've had to sort of make my own films out of some opportunities I'm getting. Even if I'm funding my own films, it's problematic to release it because there's, I mean, I've been told that I don't have famous actors backing it. I don't have my own name highlighting. The media was not ready to cover the film because they didn't have anything to write about in terms of, oh, I was in fact told by a leading media house in Calcutta that uh, we cover celebs, not talent. And I was like, okay then, because I mean, <laughs> what justification is that? Yeah. And so these kind of problems are faced on a regular basis. And yeah, you get yeah. my point. Yeah. But what about, for example, because uh, if you want to be a color correctionist here in the UK, first you become an assistant. And because there are so few jobs in big production companies, there's one guy who is the main color correctionist and then there's the assistant. So you become an assistant and it's not until the guy quits or he dies that you don't become a color correctionist. So it's always like old people yeah. before young people. Is that the same in India? Yeah. yeah. Pretty much the seniority, but I mean, I no matter how good you are, you are worst. I mean, your senior is better than you. Even if you're better at your craft, your senior is better than you. So you then can't, I, there's a hierarchy going on. But then I think there's, there's hierarchy, but then there's another chance in India that where Let's say if the color correctionist has someone in his family who's, who's okay. definitely not more suited for the job, but then they are there. They want to be a color correctionist. Um, yeah. It would just promote. But I think this, this competition is not so prevalent in the technique in these kind of fields, because I mean, your color correction skills are your color correction skills. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Whereas in movies, people sell your face. So even if you're horrible at your craft, people might want to watch. You. But when you're color correcting, no matter how, I mean, you're getting me, your skill yeah, is yeah. more highlighted than who you are. So in that, it's like sports. I mean, at the end of the day, you're like in cricket, your runs will dictate what, where you go. Or, uh, yeah. So but you, like, but you, I, I I remember Arnab, you did tell me something about um, things that you faced on the set, which is why maybe it's not the same type of like you know nepotism, but there still is a sort of like entitlement I can say, where you said that uh, people used to come on your set and just sit there because you were making a film with like yeah. a big actor, so they that is that is a completely yeah that is a different kind of a problem. I, I don't know how much should I speak about that here because it's very sort of problematic and Rituraj will understand. But yeah, that comes with my, that is not exactly, I would say nepot, I mean, nepotism, but that's just my lack of control in the industry, which was exploited. Mm -hmm. I get, this is the simplest I can put it as because I, when I was making that film, John Moodley, or even unset, not much on unset because there were no famous people involved. But in John Modi, because I got a well-known cast, cast and everything, obviously people wanted to sort of exploit me and my lack of experience. So they were like, like I'm not taking any names again, but they were like, oh, you're making a film with Mr. Shomukh Chatterjee. Why won't you look after us? It's as simple as that. So yeah, so. And then they just tagged along in my sets and just wanted to extort money. It's, it's sim it was simple money extortion. And it's painful to see, I mean, instead of supporting somebody who wants to do something, I'm not saying I'm a great filmmaker, I'm, I'm trying to make something big, but just the fact that I want to tell a story, instead of supporting that cause, you are sort of exploiting my, uh, uh, you know, my lack of experience and making me helpless on set because at the end of the day, no matter how much money you put in, it is your hard earned money or whoever is investing his or her hard earned money. And you have no right to extort that 
and you know, take advantage of your helplessness. I mean, creativity is, you know, completely thrown into the gutter and just business and money extortion was taking place. That's what I have faced personally. Yeah. It's very painful. I mean, I've seen, uh, it's very well documented, it's not just limited to this industry as well. Like it's very well documented in other industries. Absolutely. Like uh, it, it has made an article, a lot of big news medias have made articles about how the unions in film industry choke a lot of films because they feel like they have a cut in certain films. Yeah. Yeah. Unions. See, I'm very for the formation of unions and everything because it sort of gives a leg- legitimate existence to a group of people of the industry. But again, when you get power, you tend to exploit it. And that's what's happening in all industries here. Because money is just a problematic entity. <laughs> it's also in UK, like everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've been told by the Metfilm uh, people as well that there's unionism everywhere. I remember when I was uh, shooting for Unset and I had to go all over the city to acquire permissions for shoots and everything. Every at every department, uh, there was uh, there were problems which I faced in terms of I don't know how much to say it, but like bribing and you know. Uh, undisclosed payments to this desk and that desk and it was bizarre. I, mean, I think there's like two sides. Podcasts on how unions work. I think it's like two sides to filmmaking. Like 50% is like making the film and 50% is like exactly the whole business so, and marketing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is absolutely, which has nothing to do with making a film. I mean, people say, oh, you're a filmmaker, you must be so creative and talented. I'm like, yeah, but that's, that's there because it's a, I mean, creative thing which we are making, but that's just the creative part of it. At the end of the day, when you are watching my creativity, you are watching a product. Mm-hmm. It's just like any other product which is available in the market and you have to sell it. And that is sheer business. It has nothing to do with how creative you are how greatly you've conceived your ideas. You have to put it across and make money out of it. You have to make your investors happy. And that game is very painful, especially for people who understand creativity and not much of business. So you have to compromise at every step. Like I told you, I had to literally sell off my integrity. I don't want to talk about it here, but Yudhiraj knows about it. Yeah. It's also about the product because, uh, no, sorry, it's just because no, you're like, good. Once, once you have a product, you know, a film that is both commercial and, you know, there is some artistic value to it, but it's also, it's going to make money in the end of the day, because if it doesn't, if it's all commercial, commercially valuable, it won't go anywhere. That's, that's something that I think it's important. Coming to a much uh, simpler topic, that is, how did that, oh, thank God. there's, there's, there's been an article on online, which said that a medal in trans transit you lost like the government yeah. your medal in transit how did that happen? yeah 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 what what is the whole story behind so my film answered won awards from abroad right so so this was in 2018 when uh, we won at uh, los angeles film Fest- independent film festival and so i won two medals one was a silver and the other was a bronze I was obviously ecstatic and I was very happy. The entire crew, crew was happy. So we, so they couriered the uh, the medals along with the cover letter to my home address. <laughs> the, the, when I received it, when I was when the the package was delivered to my house, it was a sort of a package like like a thick envelope and the the cover was slit like this just with the size of the medal like this around this bigger slit and i was like okay so i opened it and it just had the covering letter <laughs> it didn't have the medals so i was like hmm interesting and i first i 
freaked out. Then I got extremely annoyed and angry, definitely. And then I started laughing at, you know, our country. At, because I was tracking the package all along. Okay. And it said that, oh, from LA it's reached uh, somewhere in France, I think. And from France, it was sent to somewhere in the Middle East, you know, in Dubai, I think, or Abu Dhabi. And from there, it reached Delhi. And Delhi, once it reached Delhi, there was no update. <laughs> the tracking was, the, the thing wasn't getting updated anymore. So I was like, what's happening? And after around 10 days of reaching Delhi, I received it in my house in Calcutta. <laughs> and that was delivered. So I was like, okay. And then I uh, was, I, my father asked me to lodge a complaint in the police. So I was like, um, okay, if the item is lost, is taken out in Delhi, which is most likely, how will Calcutta police track it? But I mean, we have to do a written uh, complaint. So I did that. And then obviously the media heard about it. And I was like, okay, this is a better trial to do than depending on the police. So I spoke to uh, Times of India, it was, yeah. So I spoke to them and they were like, okay, yeah, this is some spicy content. Let's do news. They just want spice. Right? So I was like, yeah, fair enough. So you get your spice. I get my news. Go ahead with it. And then gave them an interview and it came out. And it actually reached the coverage was shared so much on social media and everything that it reached Delhi. And I had also written a letter to our honorable prime minister about it. And three months later, but I got a reply from uh, the, the prime minister's office and they were very apologetic about it. And they said they would follow up, but there was no following up. But then I wrote to the festival authorities that I'm very sorry on behalf of my country. You know, it's been lost. I think I'm super upset. And they obviously felt even more upset because I mean, you know, their medals were just taken, stolen from a package. And so they were kind enough, generous enough to send me a fresh set of medals. And I told them that listen, don't trust government post, uh, shipping company uh, shipping. Just send me via FedEx or something. So it was sent by FedEx in a better uh, packaging. And then I finally received it. And now it's up on display in my living room. Thankfully, I've, I got a fresh set. Very disappointing. I was very upset with my, with the central government, actually. I mean, yeah. And then, I, I mean, I, I, on hindsight, I felt that, you know, if Rabindranath Tagore's Nobel can get stolen... <laughs> Anything can get stolen. Yeah, that's that's. I think you should make a shot on that. <laughs> how your. I I will. Yeah, it's quite possible actually, especially in the in the times of COVID nineteen and all of that, where there's no money available. Market. Anna, uh, so you know, uh, because right now you're still limited to the regional film film industry, right? So. Um, I just want to know, do you think so when it's compared to what is internationally known as Bollywood or the Mumbai film industry, is it, are regional industries, even though they make some, most of the times they do come out with um, better products, like end products, are they shunned out compared to the Mumbai film industry? Or do you think so that's, that's there everywhere? It's there everywhere, but it's very much there in Bombay because firstly, the films which we know as Bollywood are the expensive films. And of course, they spend more money in sending the films abroad. Like a good quality film, which is comparable, like low budget, will never reach theaters abroad because they won't have that kind of a distribution deal with foreign distributors and exhibitors. So obviously the viewership gets curbed. Now with OTT coming up, we, I mean, if you have a deal with Netflix, then you have a better reach, but theater business for, uh, for so the so-called art house films is very poor and internationally. Who's going to run a film? I mean, at the end of the day, even they are going to look for money, right? And if you make that kind of film, which does not have say Shah Rukh Khan, 
then why would they want to put it up they have thousands of art house films from their own countries to back why would they back an international film just because it has a good story they want money so i don't blame them it's a two way thing so what i feel is bigger producers or distributors from india should uh, take responsibility and send these uh, films which have a lot of potential abroad and just sort of exhibit them and not worry so much about box office because you are anyway making money with the pot boilers of bollywood so just sort of back these i mean i was very happy when i saw uh, this film kamyab uh, being backed by red chilies and it didn't make any money at all i think it made like what two or three crores in india like you spend 15 crores on a film and you make two crores horrible box office but then again red chilies was kind enough to give them a platform and that's what we need you know just let the box office be and let's support indigenous good content uh, in india as well as abroad so yeah uh, coming back to bolly commercial bollywood i think this is how we can help the market grow uh, yeah where you like bollywood films so i'm i'm just putting it out there we all love absolutely but we love watching yeah. it. i just uh, it's just that we want to see more like more films from the regional industry coming up and definitely regional industry even uh, more content driven films from bollywood i mean i was sitting at met film the other day and i was talking to my classmates about bollywood and all they know about bollywood is the the song and dance mm-hmm. and i think you and i also discussed it once that bollywood is not all about song and dance yes we do have song and dance because that's part of our culture so we do represent on screen what's part of our culture but everything's not about song and dance like yesterday i shared uh, this uh, homage to one of the greatest choreographers who just passed away mrs saroj khan and i shared the clippings from different uh, da- like song and dances and people said i didn't know oh, is this all bollywood has to offer like everything is like people are dancing and everything i'm like yeah this is a major part of bollywood but this is not all about bollywood like just google and see like but the problem no. is that also like it's in our country like in europe we don't get non bollywood films like even as a filmmaker the only non bollywood filmmaker that i know is sataji rai i think it's called sataji yeah sataji rai right but that's that's the only one who i know but it's because non bollywood films don't get released here in in the western world i think that's one of the big problems true probably. true but satyajit yeah i mean satyajit ray is an exception who received that kind of a global um sort of platform because he was that talented definitely i mean i'm we are nobody to talk about how great he was but like i think back then indian cinema that quality of indian cinema was much more like more films were made keeping in mind that level of international quality which is like pretty much lacking now because now it's more about business even satyajit ray was a regional filmmaker he was never a bollywood filmmaker he mm-hmm. made i think two films in hindi so that quality of regional film is missing from the current lot of filmmakers i would say but you that's think it's coming back that's why not i mean i have very like i do like quite a few bengali filmmakers or some in the south as well but i think satyajit ray's stature is just different i mean i i'm a huge satyajit ray fan even at the same time i love bollywood and i love satyajit ray so so i think it should come back i don't know how much of it is coming back but i think in the next 5 to 10 years hopefully hopefully rituraj and i can make some <laughs> some hopefully someday i don't know we are, i'm i'm just being pompous I'm bring kidding. it back don't take me seriously yeah no, make I... indian cinema great again <laughs> yeah. no i mean uh, i think it kind of changed with i hope hope that it kind of changed with parasite 
that we start watching more content with like subtitles get used to it yeah and like i think we first have to adopt as a country to watch our own regional cinema as subtitles before we go out yeah and, like, i would yeah true go out and watch like i think yeah. regional films should first be made available to all over india yeah. like a bengali film is not well released in other parts of india very good quality marathi film will never release in calcutta or in south india a very good quality low budget south indian film like a tamil or a telugu film will never release in my city or in bombay or anywhere probably in bombay because it's like bombay but not in other parts of india so we have to sort of take regional cinema first to rest of india and then abroad if our own country doesn't support regional movies then I don't think there's any chance internationally. But also yeah, because, I don't know, for example, like in Italy, we translate films from other languages to Italian. Do you do the same? Because uh, in a way, like it's kind of like you're not watching film with subtitles. You're just watching in your own language, but it's a foreign film. Do you do the same? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We yeah. have because India itself has like so many languages and so many uh, film industry with different languages. but I, south indian films are dubbed in hindi but i don't think um it's not I, so prevalent I, in india I, i i don't think so so yes it's it's really surprising avengers launches in five different languages in india but yeah. films they're not dubbed and launched in like five different languages across our own so so there you go my point okay. is i mean cleared here that because avengers is that brand of cinema which is appealing to the masses it's going to be dubbed in various languages because it's going to get the dis- the producers and distributors a lot of money and that money will not come from a say a film like say the post for example so you won't do that because you won't invest so much money on that film so just like we have avengers in hollywood which is like the pot boiler commercial hollywood film in india the same thing is a song and dance you see that so we both have box office oriented movies but just different types of movies in india what sells most is song and dance so so you put like there's a recipe of making a commercial bollywood film it has to have like a you know a very catalytic systematic uh, hero Generic. of the film yeah Every, everything is very systematic the screenplay is written in a very very like it's like a it's a formula it's made in a formula so you have to put a certain you know item song if you know what that is then you have to put a romantic number you have to you have to so that's how you make money in bollywood but you have to compromise on your art form for example we don't get independent original indie films here in uh, europe but for example do you get mm-hmm. indie western films in india like moonlight for example was it released in uh, india yeah it was released in the theaters i think some things mean, i mean even if they are they have like two shows a day yeah there's no publicity about it like nobody yes. knows about it yeah, maybe it will come in some theater somewhere but there's no pr or there's no press hype about it unless and until even, you talk about it in the media how how will the common people know that and there's yeah, no i, think, I don't think there's proper budget allocated for the advertisement and the pr of those kind of movies Okay. I think uh, even um, uh, Joker released here without that ma- that much publicity, and Joker was a commercially successful film abroad. But I think they had like two, three shows a day, which is which is nothing compared to when Avengers releases. It has like ten, fifteen shows every day. Almost. Yeah, I I I think that India is the only country I think where Hollywood. is yet to sort of penetrate completely because of it, because india has its own market which is so strong that if say a hollywood film even as big as avengers releases with a salman khan film in india they have to sort of play with the dates because they will not allow a big foreign film coming in here because the 
the masses of India will want that their type of movies, which is not what Hollywood. I mean, Avengers does so. Avengers. I mean, Marvel. I think has the largest market in India from Hollywood. But that's also nothing compared to what Marvel has in the rest of the world, because India is like one point three billion people. We still manage to give so much of money to Marvel, but that's nothing compared to what you know the Bollywood pot boiler earns from India, which is not which is unlike the rest of the world. Marvel, I mean, Marvel movies I think make billions in the rest of the world, but here it's still struggling comparatively. I would say if you see the percentage of how much they earn in India versus the rest of the world, it's pretty less in India, because everything is commercial Bollywood in terms of masses in India. If that makes sense. That's the end of the podcast. But like, we just wanted to know one final thing is that people who are coming who are who would look up to your films or would look up to films as an independent filmmaker. What advice do you have for them? Like, what would you tell them? even yourself like 5 years back things that you wouldn't want to do again that you have learned through your experiences i think starting off at that age when i started off was very helpful for me because i learned a lot about cinema at a very 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 early stage not just about the making but even you know like the other parts of cinema which are lesser talked like i said like the release bait or you know all the behind the scenes work which goes on to actually put up a production so it helped me but at the same time i think i wouldn't recommend others to follow my path because it's very risky like it's i mean it's actually a life risk to do that because you are dealing with people who have a lot of power who have control over the business so i think if you you should play a little more safe i mean best thing is to be as daring as possible and just think that oh i'm going to make a difference in the world and the film industry and everything but have some sort of practical uh, cushion, uh you know layer on your thinking and i think ideally if you can join a film school learn it from professionals there and then go for it uh i'm not just saying like our film school in general but like if you have a film school support then then it's helpful of course i'm sure because Definitely. you come in contact with people who are in the business and who want to sort of support you as a student because directly if you enter the industry you're going to be beaten up so step by step you should proceed and advices other than this i think just watch movies and read content enrich yourself creatively as a business part i don't think everybody is capable enough to deal with it but i i so wish i could actually give a proper formulated path to how to enter the film industry i don't think there has ever been and there will ever be a proper channel to enter film industry like other fields it's still very so there's no constructive path to enter this field so i've been asked this question many a times i don't know how would you advise to your people who watch movies and want to enter the film industry there is no path you just have to improve your own creativity and wait for opportunities opportunities to come your way and if possible then start accumulate i mean accumulating finances and make films which don't exhaust you financially emotionally physically but you can create content like for example now with ott coming up if you have good content they are ready to listen to you you need to approach them at the right time but they will listen to you and back you if of course luck plays your way i mean everybody is talented you are not the only talented person on earth i am not the only i'm not even talented but like i'm not the only person in the thing who is sort of there there are millions of people who want to be what you are and so competition is there just improve yourself with every single day which comes your way and just 
look for opportunities yeah save money don't spend on other stuff save money and spend on your movies i for the first 5 to 6 years i didn't spend a single penny on anything else other than movies it's impossible to make a movie without money uh, to make a movie presentable rather without money which is again the most disappointing part of filmmaking is the most expensive medium of storytelling it's so frustrating for creative people who don't yeah. have the finances in place all right that's it i guess for this podcast thank you anna for joining us uh, thank you